Hello and welcome to Overdrive, a program that takes an expansive look at the world of cars and transport. I'm David Brown. And in this program we take a look at the latest news stories, including India's revolutionary plan to make all its cars electric. We talk to Professor Corin Mully about Australia's contribution to an international consortium on bus rapid transport that is being supported by the Volvo Research and Education Foundation. And we road test the Subaru BRZ, a beautifully balanced sports car with just enough horsepower to use when you are driving. And in our panel discussion with Brian Smith and Errol Smith, we take an amusing look at stories including French nano cars have a molecular Grand Prix. Have a question or a comment, send it to overdrive at drivenmedia.com.au. You can listen to longer segments of each of the features by going to our website at drivenmedia.com.au or podcast the whole program on iTunes or your favourite podcast service. Now, to begin the program, let's have the news. India is hoping to have all new cars sold by 2030 to be electric vehicles. This is being driven by a desire to reduce the imported cost of fuel and reduce the running costs of vehicles. The benefits for reducing local pollution would also be substantial, but how the electricity is generated is an issue for global pollution. In 2014, the World Health Organization determined that out of the 20 global cities with the most air pollution, 13 are in India. In the last three years, India's energy consumption has grown by about 6.5% compound annual growth rate, which is more than the figure for the last 10 years. It is now the world's third largest oil importer, paying $200 billion annually for the resource. Citylab.com reports that car manufacturers say that they are not equipped for such a radical change. There is only one Indian company that manufactures electric vehicles, and Toyota's Indian unit is already lobbying the government to take a less hurried approach to the plan in order to have time to prepare for a dramatically different car market. Bloomberg reports that the Justice Department in the US is preparing to sue Fiat Chrysler if talks fail to resolve differences over the carmaker's alleged violation of US clean air rules with its diesel vehicles, according to two people briefed on the matter. Fiat is reported to have admitted it made mistakes, but that it never tried to intentionally cheat the rating system. Volkswagen has famously admitted to creating clever software in some of its diesel engines to reduce the pollution levels shown in the laboratory rating of vehicle performance. Fiat Chrysler has been seeking approval for updated software for 2017 model year diesels that it then intends to install in 2014 to 2016 vehicles, cited by the EPA in a January the 12th violation notice. The Trump administration has announced that it wants to have a trillion-dollar infrastructure program to fix the roads and other projects. This was an election pledge in the campaign, although soon after it was suggested the figure was dropped to $550 billion before the vote. But now it seems to be back to the higher figure and the government wants private industry to pay for it. While the government may give tax credits to companies that build the road, there will have to be tolls or other user charges to create a revenue stream for private investors. Yahoo Financial News commented, Some analysts think Trump's infrastructure plan has the potential to be the biggest road-building program since the 1950s, but Trump's infrastructure plan is more like a wish list built on idealistic assumptions that's unlikely to survive its first brush with political reality. 
According to new research by the University of Illinois, the presence of just a few autonomous vehicles can eliminate the stop-and-go driving of human drivers in traffic, along with the accident risk and fuel efficiency it causes. The finding indicates that self-driving cars and related technology may be even closer to revolutionising traffic control than previously thought. The team conducted field experiments in which a single autonomous vehicle circulated a track continuously with at least 20 other human-driven cars. Researchers found that by controlling the pace of the autonomous car in the study, they were able to smooth out the traffic flow for all the cars. This trial appears to replicate traffic in a relatively free-flowing environment. The conclusions may be valid for motorways, but its application in dynamic traffic conditions, with conflicts, lane changing and traffic lights, may be a different issue. Transport Systems Catapult, a UK technology and innovation centre for intelligent mobility, has released a report that says innovation in transport is at risk because data is not being shared. Overcoming the current barriers could unlock £14 billion of benefits from new innovations by 2025, they claim. They recommend government should establish a policy advisory group to manage the creation of a mobility data hub, develop and publish amenable contract and licensing templates for use across industries, providing guidance on how data can be shared or opened between organisations without breaching competition law or new regulations, continue to publish open data in a way that focuses on the full end-to-end passenger and freight journey rather than individual segments in order to break down cultural barriers between different transport modes. And finally, ensure civil servants have the right training to understand the importance of shared and open data. Electric cars have, for many years, been seen as a socially responsible vehicle, but the ability to produce rapid acceleration and high speeds are features of electric vehicles that are making them far more attractive to the market, even if they do not have a large range at this stage. NIO, a Chinese electric vehicle manufacturer, has just proved the point with its EP9 vehicle, setting the fastest time for a production car around the Nürburgring in Germany. With a time of 6 minutes and 45 seconds, it was 6 seconds faster than the previous record-holding Lamborghini Huracan. Actually, this is not all that new. The first six world land speed records, set around the 1890s, were all achieved in electric vehicles. It's a surprising fact that in a city like Sydney, more trips are made by bus than by train, and as the population increases and autonomous vehicles develop, so the use of road corridor space will have to cater for more bus rapid transit. An international consortium, including the Institute of Transport and Logistics Studies at the University of Sydney, is to continue its groundbreaking efforts to improve bus rapid transport systems with renewed backing from the Volvo Research and Education Foundation. The funding is not linked nor bounded, nor do they have to report to any Volvo manufacturing organisation, as Professor Corin Mully, the founding chair in public transport at the University of Sydney, explains. It's funded by the charitable educational arm of, of Volvo. So it's the Volvo um, Educational Trust that has made the grant to our consortium. And to say that it's um, partisan is nonsense. No one talks about the philanthropic arm of Microsoft 
as supporting Microsoft. And yet it's no different from what we're getting from Volvo. Anyway, that aside, um, we've been looking at all sorts of things as a consortium about how bus rapid transit could be better placed in cities and provide better mobility for citizens, because that's what it's all about. What we've been doing in Sydney specifically is trying to identify why it is that there appears to be a rail bias, not only from politicians, but from citizens. So we've looked at, we've done a stated choice experiment in which we've given people, to begin with, pictures where there was a new tram, an old tram, well, new LRT, an old LRT, a new bus and an old bus and asked people which one they preferred. And I was staggered. Over 50% just on the looks chose the modern LRT. More recently, we've been looking at another stated choice experiment to try and dig down and find out what sort of characteristics are putting people in favour of rail-based technology rather than road-based technology. And there's some interesting features that have come out of this. And the two that stand out for me is that actually from buses, what citizens appreciate is the greater network that you get for the same amount of dollars spent. So we gave people a fixed budget. You know, you can have this amount of network from this one or this amount of network from another without saying that it was LRT or BRT. And people chose that feature as being important to them. And the second thing which stood out for me in terms of the research is the role of experience. So in cities like Brisbane, where people are familiar with bus rapid transit, it gets a very much higher rating in terms of people being prepared to vote for a system that would include BRT. This is marvellous because I've just been to a conference where it is provoking in my mind this passion that we seem to have for fixed rail. Is fixed rail something that is has such permanency? And this is something we've talked about in a proposal for the trackless tram down the middle of Parramatta Road, that because it is so visible that it makes it more feel more permanent and so we shouldn't be trying to say we must have a tram but we should be perhaps trying to replicate those things that make it obvious and solid and uh, as it were dependable in in a transit system which doesn't necessarily have to mean it's got rails that's right so i think there's and this is i think where experience of a system comes into play because if you go to South America where BRT systems are in place or South South Africa or Brisbane or parts of the Liverpool Parramatta Transit Way, you can see that they're on dedicated track and the track part of the road that these buses run on are not used by any other vehicles and they would be just as difficult to remove as a rail system. Indeed, for example, the Liverpool Parramatta Transit Way for better or for worse, has actually been built in some senses to light rail standards so that it can move forward to light rail if and when demand is increased. So there is that perception that once you've got rails, you've got something which is fixed, you've got something which is long-lasting, and you've got something which people won't take away. 
that a proper BRT system with a dedicated road space is just as difficult to take away as a light rail that's using dedicated road space as well. And that was Professor Corin Mully, who is the founding chair in public transport at the Institute of Transport and Logistics Studies at the University of Sydney. Corin is also part of an international collaboration looking at improving bus rapid transit. This is Overdrive across Australia. The Subaru BRZ rear-wheel drive sports car and its twin brother, the Toyota 86, first came onto our market five years ago. Subaru has recently upgraded their model a bit and lowered the price by about $1,200 on the manual and about $1,700 on the automatic. They don't sell many, but they are selling more. Now, National Corporate Affairs Manager David Rowley has, I believe, a smile on his face, and he joins us on the line now. G'day, David. Thanks for your time. Hi, David. And yes, you've definitely put a smile on my face, yeah. (laughs) You're selling more. We are. In fact, we're up nearly 42% year to date, which is an indication that the revamped BRZ has been received very warmly by the the fans. And last month alone, we were up uh, nearly 88%. So the signs are very positive. You do have a twin brother in the Toyota 86. Yours is a little different. I've got to say, the 16-year-old boy thought yours looked better. I know you've only got little slight changes to it, but he, he just thought it all sort of came together better. Maybe it was the bigger wheels as well. But the Toyota 86 has a cheaper one. They outsell you at the moment about three to one, but you are catching up. Now, the 86 has declined by about 20% this year. Does the cheaper model in my state, it's about $900 cheaper for the 86 base model, but it's not as well optioned. Does that hinder you? No, I don't think so. I guess both brands have a uh, slightly different audience. And as you rightly point out, your 16-year-old is a very good judge of cosmetics. <laughs> but it really is something for the aficionados to identify the external changes because I must admit, at a glance, it's hard to do so if you hmm. see them uh, driving along. Apart from the unique colour which each brand has, Toyota has a colour unique to them. And of course, we have the WR Blue unique to us. But in, in our case, look, the, the cars all come out of the same factory in Japan, the Subaru factory, I hasten to add. But obviously, it's been a, a wonderful cooperation with Toyota. And we just don't have the ability to get any more allocation. So I guess from a Subaru Corporation perspective in Japan, it doesn't matter too much which badge it is, but locally, it matters to us a lot. Now, this one, the interior is better. I think particularly the touchscreen, and I think that's where you are ahead of the 86 particularly. When a person first sits in the car in the dealership, this is something that will become apparent to them, I think. Is that part of its success? Yeah, I think so, David. That was one of the uh, minor criticisms of the earlier model. So they put a lot of work into the upgraded infotainment, the uh, 4.2-inch LCD and and things like that, and uh, I guess more prominent displays which make the car a little more interactive and also encourage the driver to stay focused on the road as well because everything is designed to be as tactile and as close to hand as possible so you can take advantage of that fun factor which BRZ is renowned for. Dual climate control, audio trip and computer controls on the steering wheel all add to the interior. Now you drive it, it's rear-wheel drive. There's no turbocharger. You've heard this before. Now if you read all the comments on motoring websites they are screaming for your turbo motor. Although I'm not sure that those who write comments are always your market, but that's another story. You have the turboed WRX motor in the sedan and the Lavorg station wagon. 
Why not here? To the best of our knowledge, it's never going to happen, David. And, and it's an interesting observation that you make because I've had uh, many a call from our mutual media colleagues saying they've heard rumours about a supercharger, a turbocharger. I even had a call from somebody saying they were going to do an extended wheelbase version with four doors. So there you go. So <laughs> It'd look like one of those horrible Porsches, wouldn't it? <laughs> <laughs> so there have been many, um, many rumours about different versions of BRZ, but I think when it comes down to it, what really resonates with the purest drivers and, and enthusiasts is, is the fact that this car probably harks back to something which has largely gone in the automotive world, probably something not unlike the MGs of the 50s and the 60s, where you really feel in touch with the road. It is a simple car. It's one that you can have a lot of fun in, dare I say, pretty safely. And you don't have to be going at a million mile an hour, miles an hour to do it. That seems to be the core of it from our perspective. I was going to mention the MGs, exactly your point. They were never powerful. Although the MGB did go to a V8 at the end, a horrible car. By not having a huge amount of power, you have to work with the car. It's not just something where you just flatten the accelerator. Yeah, absolutely. And it really puts one in touch with how a car handles and how to deliver the power right in the uh, ideal zone. And uh, that's one of the things that's been uh, refined slightly in the latest manual version. Do you sell many manuals compared to automatic? Yeah, I think um, manuals just edge out the autos currently. But you know what? It's not unlike uh, WRX. Over time, they do seem to be disappearing a little bit, I think. David, lovely to talk to you. Thank you very much for your time. Thanks so much, David. That's David Rowley, who is the National Corporate Affairs Manager for Subaru, and we were talking about their sports car, rear-wheel drive, BRZ. You're listening to Overdrive. And here we are again. Let's talk some quirky news. On the line is Brian Smith. G'day, Brian. G'day, David. And Errol Smith. G'day, Errol. G'day, David. Brian, you uh, have a, a story of car ra- well, of racing, at least. Racing, yes. This is tiny, tiny cars. So France is holding a nano car race, the Molecular Grand Prix. And so this is an event for machines at the molecular level that compete on a nano-sized racetrack. Now, these are tiny vehicles. They're the biggest molecule. They have wheels, a chassis, and they're propelled by the energy from electric pulses. So you can't actually see these with the naked eye, but if you have a, you use a microscope, which is located uh, in Toulouse, in where the race is going to be, you'll be able to follow the race. So it's, it's um, a bit of fun, but it's also a, a feat of genuine scientific prowess and international human adventure. It's only going to happen once. It's going to be broadcast live on the web um, and also at the Science Centre in Toulouse. So keep an eye out for it. And um, yeah, this is these are really a race car that's as big as a molecule. A million times smaller than a millimetre. They do five nanometers an hour. That is five times 10 to the minus 12 kilometres. So if you were to drive the 876 kilometres from Sydney to Melbourne, it would take you 20 billion years. Right. And the fuel, apparently the fuel, fuel economy is terrible too. <laughs> the only bad thing about 20 billion years is that our sun is going to burn out in about 5 billion years. Now, sorry, Brian, you were going to say something? I was going to say I believe Ferrari's team uh, made a vehicle with two molecules in size, <laughs> and there's a lot of uh, controversy about 
about that. A lot of legal things going on there. They, legal stuff. They yeah. have to do it in rather unusual circumstances. They do it in minus 217 degrees Celsius, where the laws of physics are drastically different, so they tell me. That was Volkswagen's excuse, apparently. <laughs> the big issue, if you're going to watch it, you really want to know which corner they're going to crash on. <laughs> yeah, that's I'd love to watch the pit crew action. Yeah. In, in hey, something like this. One of the wheels fell off one of them. <laughs> no, it did. It did. Seriously. One of the wheels fell off. It, it's got things where they have to actually rotate, and they're not quite sure whether it's rolling or just resistance or what, but they literally are in the, sh- well, loosely in the shape of a body and four things on the side, which are like wheels, but apparently in one case, one fell off. And spun out. I guess <laughs> the wheel end up in the stands. <laughs> you see someone suddenly recoil from the microscope, holding their eye. <laughs> I wondered what was the scientific value of this, but then I thought maybe we could get little nano trucks to go around in your body, like a grader that could remove cholesterol or something. Oh, cholesterol. Yeah, okay. This is a good idea. So the technology here could eventually find its way into yeah, the cars that we buy, yeah, the, the molecule-sized cars that we buy as consumers, perhaps in the future. Well, yeah, if they went through my veins, they would be like a rally track, I think. So I'm, uh-huh. Apparently, though, do the drivers of the cars become super arrogant and do young, good-looking members of the opposite sex or indeed of the same sex start uh, chasing after them? Uh-huh. If you win, do you get a nano trophy? That's delightful, isn't it? And a tiny, tiny bottle of champagne. Yeah. <laughs> that you've got to spray. You've got to spray all that. Um, apparently, as I say, the laws of physics don't apply in this situation. Neither do the laws of reporting. I've read some of the reports of the race, and I've got to tell you, it's hard just to find out the fundamental elements of this thing and even who's doing well or what the teams are or so on. They all have them, but it's just not easy. And they look quite alike. You've got to get in quite close to see the very different cigarette ads on them (laughs) so you can tell, you know, which one's the Marlboro team. The trouble with that, Brian, is they're going past so quickly. (laughs) (laughs) Errol, you have a story which... uh, it's hard to see initially, whether or even further into it, as to whether there's a light-hearted look at it. Well, you tell me, David. A report has come out in the US saying that road rage cases involving firearms have more than doubled in the last in the three years from 2014 to 2016, inclusive. The report by the Trace, a non-profit focused on gun violence, so you know, take their advice with a large grain of salt. Examine police reports, news stories, and other sources to determine the figures. One of the main findings was that, perhaps unsurprisingly, people who carried a gun in their car were more likely to use it in a road rage incident, and that states with more relaxed gun laws had more cases of road rage involving guns. Conrad Hilton's father was a big wig in New Mexico, in a, in a sort of middle of America, in a smallish sort of town, and he owned a bar, and one day a friend walked into a bar and there was a guy waving a gun in the face of Conrad Hilton's father. And uh, they all calmed down after a while. And someone took his father aside and said, look, you really need to get the gun. And his father said, no, no, if we both had a gun, one of us would be dead. The trouble with this, and it's come up in road safety as well, we are bombarded with information and that. And we are now all in evaluating everything with fight or flight. 
So we demand for the right for one particular reason. You make a mistake, therefore everything I say or do is right because your mistake's there. And it's the most primitive part of your brain. And we see it a lot. You know, you abuse a cyclist for one simple reason. Well, they hold you up, but then you make the excuses they don't pay road tax. But a community service is not based solely on how much you contribute. A pensioner gets the same service on a bus or a train even if they paid a concession fare. A blind person goes for free. Now, should they give up the seat to everyone else simply because they pay? So we get these one reasons. We get so self-righteous about it and we blast away. Indeed, mm. and interesting Occasionally with in both this, barrels. Interesting comments in this article, that a research paper called Is an Armed Society a Polite Society? Uh, Guns and Road Rage. And, of course, I think you'd certainly find this sort of evidence would be suggesting, well, no, um, that, uh, you know, an armed society is probably a place where there's going to be a whole lot more people shot. And, of course, in the States, their statistics on gun incidents are just off the scale. And, and the commentary here is that really, you know, the car in many ways gives the motorist power, protection, an easy escape and anonymity. And these are, are I think, very dangerous things to then combine with um, deadly, the, the potential for deadly force. So, you know, in Australia, a few people might get out of town and punch on, get embarrassed, somebody might get a little bit hurt. But if you can use that same position of power and anonymity combined with a gun, then um, some pretty nasty stuff is going to happen. And, and, and uh, I mean, everybody ex- displays aggressive behaviour on the road. I do it. I sort of speak to other drivers and ask them what they're doing and why, why they've done that, just sort of not shouting, but to myself. Uh, and so certainly there's some, yes, you're right, David, there's a kind of a willingness to find fault in others as a way to um, boost your self-esteem. Become very self-righteous about it, but we get very paranoid about it. The Huffington Post reported about a guy who shot a squirrel with an arrow, bow and arrow, because the squirrel looked at him in a funny way. Oh, oh dear. I took it personal, he said, according to the complaint. <laughs> they're on the same level. Yeah, they're dealing in the same sort of intelligence. He was worried that squirrel was going to steal his woman. <laughs> Take his job. <laughs> Making yes. the jobs. Did I tell that story? I was driving along. I realised I was going a little fast, and I slowed down because it was a school zone. And a woman behind me got all upset and zoomed around me and gesticulated and so on. And I got up uh, to the lights, and she was next door to me. I wound my window down, and said, "It's a school zone." Of which she said, "Oh, well, other cars were overtaking me." I said, "No, no, it's a school zone." Uh, yes. But what I should have said to really calm the situation and make the point was. I slowed down because it's a school zone. Not you're at fault and you're terrible. Yes, I'm yes. just telling you what I did. Now, you know, you might well say, oh, but she was wrong, but that's not the point. All right, gentlemen, always good to talk. Uh, I appreciate that. Uh, we'll catch you up next time. Thanks for your time. Thank you, David. All right, Sado. And that's Errol Smith and Brian Smith talking some quirky news. And this has been Overdrive. My thanks to Brian Smith, Professor Corin Mully, Errol Smith, David Campbell, David Rowley and Paul Just for their great help during the program. Overdrive can be heard across Australia on the Community Radio Network. 
You can listen to longer segments of each of the features by going to our website at drivenmedia.com.au or podcast the whole program on iTunes or your favourite podcast service. I'm David Brown. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.